hard to get here this morning. And here we are, and, and now our topic is temptation. So it's not a, a fun topic, I suppose. Uh, in my life, I generally avoid temptation unless I just can't resist it. <laughs> so. All right. Um, but this is a, it, so what I'd like to do as we explore this, I want a little, um, we're going to do a little bit more interactive. I'm going to kind of pick this apart a little bit and try to figure out how do we understand this passage rightly. So I'm going to invite a little more back and forth than we would normally be able to do um, on any other week. So, but temptation though, it is a universal experience. So whether it's um, a habit that you have, a behavior, a pattern, an attitude that you do not want for yourself, but you keep falling into, you keep uh, you know, falling when you are tempted, you may experience that. Or maybe it's something that you do want for yourself, but you have a deep sense that God does not want this in your life, and you uh, face temptation when this thing that you desire, you, you feel like you should be avoiding. Um, today, we look at the temptation of Jesus continuing through the, the Gospel of Luke we've been studying through for, for those of you who've been here. Uh, and if you remember, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Brian was talking about the Gospel of Luke. Luke said, he, he set out to, uh, to do an orderly account, and to, this is well-researched, uh, of the life of Jesus. So this is well-researched, and he's, he's talked to eyewitnesses to craft this uh, Gospel of the, the account of the life of Jesus. And this is a very famous part of the life of Jesus. But where did it come from? Where did Luke get this one? You get Jesus alone in the wilderness uh, being tempted. How did Luke research that? How did he find it out? So we, I mean, the only way, short of him interviewing Satan himself, was that Jesus told this to his disciples. He, Jesus went out of his way to say, I had this experience and described it in detail such that it was uh, that recounted through oral and written tradition. And then Luke uh, picks up on that and is uh, intentional to include it here. So the fact that Jesus himself told it to his disciples, he, it must have been important. It, he, was, he taught them all things. And he said, you need to teach others what I have taught you. And you need to obey all the things I've taught you. So that Jesus included this is, I think, would be important for us. So what is the point of all this? Uh, why is it important that we understand Jesus' temptation? And we, we could be inclined to say, well, we all face temptation. I think we would all admit that. And since we all face temptation, uh, Jesus must be teaching us how to deal with temptation. Um, so, you know, Jesus gives us a demonstration of fighting temptation, and he has given us sort of a formula. This is a path, a good path that we can follow. So as we are tempted in various ways, we can fight temptation too, just like Jesus did. So Jesus is, in, in that sense, our example. And um, if that is your thought about this, I agree with you. This is absolutely an example that we can follow just like Jesus lived it out. It's a path that points us in a good direction. But, what if? What if Jesus told this to his disciples about temptation, his temptation, not to show them something that they could do, not to show them a good path they could follow, but to show them that he did something that they could not do, 
a path that they could not follow. It's, it's not a path pointing forward so much, perhaps, as it is a path pointing backwards to a bad path, a path of death and destruction that, that humans walk. Every human being has ever walked until Jesus. So if that's... Well, I want to explore both those. That this is a path that we cannot walk and a path that also we can walk. Uh, and show that I, I do believe both of these things are true. Um, so let's pray. So Father, we, we together gathered here. We have prayed, um, lead us not into temptation, Lord. We, this is a, um, what we have been called to pray on a daily basis. That we uh, would be delivered from all evil. And, and yet we, we fail. We admit it. We confess it. We need this. We need to understand temptation. We need to understand our own sinfulness in your own holiness and righteousness. So as we look at your word, I pray that you just open our hearts to understand it. We pray all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, first, let's start with this idea that Jesus did something that we couldn't do. And if this is, if Jesus is doing something that points us backwards, what is he pointing backwards to? So, what do you think? So we have Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. Does that sound like anything you've heard of in the Bible before? Okay, okay Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. Whenever, uh, whenever the Spirit of God is leading into the wilderness for 40 of anything, you, you can, we are... We must, there has to be something here. This is just glaring. Uh, But it points even, and we'll get to that, but it points, I believe, even further back than that. Because, uh, and and we may not, it's not totally fair, because where we left off last week with John the Baptist, in between John the Baptist and when this happens, there's some other text. So this is what happens. I will read it to you. Luke chapter 3, verse 21 says, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying, and heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And we don't know, just it's kind of floating or or flying, hovering perhaps. Um, And a a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And then the rest of the chapter is a genealogy from Joseph. So it said, you know, as it was thought, you know, Joseph was the, Jesus was the son of Joseph. You know, as it was thought, we know that um, Mary, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But it traces um, Joseph's lineage to all the way back to Adam, who was then called the son of God. And then, in, then what follows immediately after is this temptation narrative. So it says, the words in the Bible say, Adam, son of God, and then Satan is tempting. So when we see Satan as a tempter and we see Adam, it reminds us of what part of the Bible? Creation. So this is, to me, this seems kind of obvious, right? So whenever, there's, whenever we start talking Old Testament allusions or Old Testament Thing. Sometimes people get a, they 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 may not have a um, understand biblical history really well off the top of their head, and they get a little um, they they might want to avoid it. But these are two very huge events: uh, the Garden of Eden and the tempting of Adam and Eve, 
and the exodus where Moses led the Israelites out of slavery that most people just through even through pop culture and through sort of you know being part of western civilization you would under you would at least know something of these two things so let's look at the creation one first so um, you know in the beginning scripture says god created the heavens and the earth the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the waters. And then God creates. And how does God create? He speaks. The voice of God. Okay? So God speaks, and the pinnacle of this speaking into creation is humanity. So we have, uh, we have water, we have the spirit hovering or floating or flying, perhaps like a dove, I don't know. Um, and then you have... Uh, you have humanity coming up and the, through the voice of God, and Adam, who's just been called son of God, not son of God like Jesus, but you know, born of God. Um, and then immediately you have Satan coming in, tempting, and they fail, and then sin and death reign from that point forward. Now here, you have life coming up out of the water of baptism, Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit Hovering, you have the voice of God speaking, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So we have Jesus the son, and then immediately temptation. So the temptation, this is, then how does the temptation happen? In the garden, uh, the serpent comes to the woman, so uh, Genesis chapter 3, Uh, The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So here we have the serpent using God's word, misusing God's word to deceive. And if you look here in verse 10, when Jesus is tempted, there's a quote from scripture. Satan says, it is written. Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift, up, they will lift you up in, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He's quoting Psalm 91. So Satan is using or misusing scripture to deceive, just as he did in the garden. In the garden he said to the woman, you, sh- you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, the fruit, Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who ate it, who was with her and he ate it. It's the same thing all over again. She, there's a temptation and she sees that this thing is actually good to eat. And here's Satan in the wilderness is tempting Jesus to say, hey, you're hungry, you could make bread, that will be good to eat. Yet, Adam and Eve fail, Jesus succeeds. She also notices that the fruit is pleasing to the eye. And then you have Satan taking Jesus to a place, in a, either physically or in a vision, he's seeing the nations of the world, there's a visual aspect of this she sees something pleasing he sees all these nations and and jesus resists the temptation but adam and eve fail it's it's the same thing over and over again jesus here in this and in telling this story to his disciples who then write it down and tell it to others 
He's explaining that he is the new Adam. He is the new humanity. He is doing the thing that no other human could ever do right from the beginning. He is the perfect human. He can, and therefore, because he is the perfect human, he can represent all of humanity. He can stand in the place of fallen humans, in your place and my place. And that's, where, that's why he could die on the cross for us, because he was perfect and sinless in ways that we can't. Romans 5.18 says, Just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. In Adam, we die. We, sin enters the world and we inherit this sinful nature, but Jesus doesn't have this sinful nature. He, in his act of righteousness on the cross, makes us righteous as we put our faith in it. That is, he can stand in our place. 1 Corinthians says the same thing. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For, in, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And again, the church understood Jesus is the new humanity. He's the new Adam. He's the perfect Adam. He's the one who would stand in our place. And that, that looking backwards, Jesus is demonstrating that. Also looking backwards to Israel in the wilderness. So we see this. He's in the wilderness for 40 days. You know, the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, there's just a beautiful parallel here. And... Deuteronomy 8.2 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the desert for 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So how did they do relative to the same kind of temptation Jesus faced here? So the first, what's the first temptation? It's about turning stones into bread. How did they do with trusting God with the bread? Not too good. They complained. They grumbled. They did not. They, they wished that God hadn't taken them out of slavery because at least they had good bread in Egypt. And God miraculously provides all that they needed, but they're grumbling against God. They did not trust God in this. Um, the second temptation here is about the, the kingdoms of the earth if, if worship is given to Satan in, in, in Jesus' temptation. And Jesus says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. How did the Israelites do of worshiping God alone? Another fail. So they worshiped the golden calf. They built, they built an image of gold and they were worshiping it as Moses is, is off, um, receiving the covenant of law and he's bringing it back and he was gone too long. And they started to worship, worship false things. Okay. Uh, the third temptation here is about throwing Satan, telling Jesus to throw himself down and God will protect you, God will uh, keep you safe. And Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. How did they do at testing the Lord their God? This is another fail. Deuteronomy 6.16, which is quoted here, do not put the Lord your God to the test, as you did at Massa. Again, this one was about water. And they're complaining again because they needed water. And they were, um, they were basically putting Moses on trial. The nation was judging God's mediator of this new and beautiful covenant, all of his promises. It's, 
they fail, fail, fail. And even Moses as the mediator of the covenant, he also, as we think of Jesus' 40 days fasting, um, Exodus 34, 28, Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So here, Jesus, in his fasting in the wilderness, he is, he is demonstrating, I am the new Israel. I am the new Moses. I am the greater Moses. I am the one who can withstand in the wilderness the temptation. Hebrews chapter 2 says, For this reason, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. This is Jesus saying, I'm mediating a greater covenant. I am uh, the greater priest. Moses you know, was the, inter, you know, the intermediator, the, 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 the mediator, the intermediary between the people and God. And Jesus now says, I am the greatest between the people and God. I'm going to mediate the greatest uh, sacrifice himself on the cross. So Jesus is the new and greater Adam, and he represents me, and he represents all humans. And Jesus is the the champion of Israel. He's the one who can represent Israel before God and God's people perfectly. And if he doesn't do this, he can't stand in your place. Therefore, this, what is described here in Luke 4, is something that you cannot do. This is not primarily an example of how to fight temptation, but of how Jesus fought temptation yet without sin. Including the temptation to take the easy road, but he gave himself and he gave his life on the cross in your place to be our savior, to be our substitute. That's the good news. And through that we receive the resurrection, we receive new life, we receive his spirit. So we take that with us into our everyday, but then in our everyday we do face temptation. So can we look at this and understand, well, is there something here for us to understand how I might face temptation if Jesus did it perfectly? And yes, it's here. So this is something that we actually can do. Um, and, and God does allow us to, to be tempted and to be tested. Now, God himself isn't the one who is, who is tempting us. James chapter 1 makes that clear. It says, when, we, when tempted, we should not say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted by when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. And then after his desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So God's not the one tempting, but God does allow us to be in places where we are tempted by our own sinful desires, by the enemy and his, and his minions. Um, However, we take comfort, and um, our, uh, our kids are away on retreat. Uh, the teenagers are away on retreat this weekend, and I love retreats. I love uh, retreat and Christian camping, and these things were influential on me in my faith journey, and it was at a Christian camp I learned um, this song, which I'm about to sing for you. <clears throat> Just prepare yourselves. Okay, it goes like this. If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. 
and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it, so that you can stand up under it. And we would physically stand up. I was already standing. So Thank you. That's the beauty of camp and retreat uh, ministry back in the olden days. The, uh, that is the words of 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 10, 12, and 13. It, you're not going to be tempted beyond what you can bear. There's always a way out. So if God leads you towards, uh, to a time of testing, he's not going to test you beyond what's humanly possible for you to overcome. So we know that. So God allows it, but he won't allow it more than we can bear and provide a way out. And thirdly, Hebrews 2.18 says, because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So Jesus understands temptation better than anyone. And you can say, well, he didn't, you know, he was without sin, so how could he really understand temptation? C.S. Lewis puts it this way in Mere Christianity. He said, a silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They've lived a sheltered life by giving in, by always giving in. You get it? Jesus took temptation all the way. Wherever we fail, he did better, so he understands it better. So in summary, yes, we are tempted. God allows it. Yes, there is always a way out. And Jesus, because he's the master of resisting temptation, can help us in our weakness. Then when we leave here and go onto the front lines of our lives, there's a temptation to lie. There's a temptation to misreport things in my place of work or a, a temptation to, um, to do anything that is wrong that you know. One of the ways that we... One of the ways that we live out our faith every day is by fighting temptation. So how do we do it? Let's go back through these three temptations again. We'll do this quickly here. The first one is a, a temptation about Jesus' physical hunger. The devil's trying to have him take the easy way out by turning stones into bread, and I am to understand Jesus could easily do that. This is about physical hungers and physical desires. For us, would it be uh, food or a sexual desire or some other thing or just a comfort that we want? What we need to remember here is we cannot trust our natural desires. Our natural desires may not be good for us. And we need to trust, rather, what we can trust is our status as God's children. Look at it in verse 3. If you are the Son of God, you know, the devil is putting the doubt into the mind of Jesus, or trying to put doubt into the mind of Jesus, I should say. Like Eve in the garden. You know, surely you won't die, just questioning God's goodness. But Jesus needed to be sure of his status. This is my son in whom I am well pleased that he was given the voice of God the Father from heaven. And not just, just, not just following my carnal desires. The second temptation is about all the kingdoms of the world and having all these things. It's about rejecting power and choosing the way of the cross. Meaning, as I go about my every day, uh, I am trying to achieve things and I'm trying to earn things and I'm trying to accomplish things. And there are times when we need to um, 
where temptation will, because of those desires, will push us into a bad place. We need to know that life is not all about self-promoting. It's not all about me first, achievement first. It's about, as Jesus says here, it's about worshiping God alone. Where is the priority? Are the things that I'm pursuing in my life, if they are good things, but if they become ultimate things, is God really number one there? The third temptation is is about testing God. This is sort of an ultimate one here. Satan says, oh, no harm will befall you. It's the false idea that if we are good enough, that God will not allow suffering in our lives. Now, how many people, they go through, they're going through life, things are fine, and then something, they, they face a tragedy or an illness or something that's out of their control, and they think, I've done, I, I've, I've loved God, I've done all the things that I'm supposed to do. How could harm befall me? Isn't there this protection that I'm supposed to have? And the reality is, there is sometimes in God's good plan, there is pain and suffering for his people who love him. And again, we know that because of Jesus, who ultimately experienced that. But here it is, do not test God. Do not, um, do not think that there is some sort of category of person that's so good that they will just live to be 120 and just die peacefully in their sleep and they'll never, you know, have the flu. It, it's just, you know, it, it's, it is, but that temptation's there. I hear it all the time. For all three of these, the, the greatest weapon is God's word. Scripture can be used for good purposes and it can be used for bad and manipulative pur- purposes. We know that because Satan uses it for manipulative purpose. But Jesus just acknowledges that God's word, the Bible, is absolutely authoritative in every instance of life. And uh, that for us, all these three things, being aware of them, knowing that they're real, understanding our status as God's child, understanding that we put him first before anything else we pursue, and and that he may call me to a a path of suffering and, and that he is still good and he is still in control. That is how we overcome temptation. And then verse 13, the devil flees. The devil leaves. He left him. It's the best news. And the worst news, he comes back. He left him until an opportune time. And, and uh, we know that Satan was very active at the betrayal of Jesus in the moment where he, um, that last moment where he had to finish the obedience to God and trusting God's good, the God the Father, trusting the Father's goodness and going to the cross and giving his life. Praise God. And because he perfectly overcame the temptation, because he lived the perfect life, and because I, he died in our place, and because he rose to new life, then we too can overcome temptation when we face it, because we put our trust in him.